Welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 297, for October 24th, 2023. Tonight, we're going to be discussing sprinting through the checkout line. A cosmological simulation for a simulation? EU tariffs to increase for American whiskey. That must have been one hell of a note. Slowest runaway pet ever. Sued or website or sued for a website that took off. Messed that one up. Expensive science materials. A tiny Japanese EV. A dirty trademark dispute crumbles. And Americans are getting spicy. Next. So, <laughs> I have no preamble today. Um, let's get into, let's just do this really quick. I'm not even going to, beyond the introduction, I'm not going to even do any preamble. Let's just get going. Um, I'm trying to do some housekeeping, but we'll see how that goes. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI who watches over from on high all the goings on. Actually, they just keep a check on me. I pretty much do everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, hi? that's a large enough job. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the article is says that Americans are getting spicy. Apparently, my sentient AI is also getting spicy. <laughs> Did you already say hi? No. Good evening, hometown citizens. <laughs> you never asked me to. <laughs> oh. Hello, sentient AI. How are you doing today? Would you like to say hi? I'm doing great. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'll edit this in post. I don't edit anything, actually. You see it the way I see it. So let's get into it. The very first article. Uh, running store in Paris invited people to steal its products if they could outrun one of France's fastest sprinters disguised as a security guard. This is over in the hometown daily channel. One of 50 that are sitting over there at hometown.com. Uh, you know, we're only a few, we're a short period of time. I'll just say that in the grand scheme of cosmological time and space, we're a very short period of time from the summer of streaming. So I'm planning additional shows. Hopefully I'll be able to get it all set up, ready to go. We'll do some testing here over the next couple of weeks and uh, be ready to go. Um, so this first article, what do you think? You think you could uh, steal a pair of shoes or some product and outrun? I, you'd have to steal something that speeds you up. Maybe a, a highly caffeinated like a beverage or something. <laughs> Does it have to be shoes? Maybe it could be wheelies. I don't know. It says it's a running store, but what are you going to steal? A bottle of caffeine to supercharge you until your head explodes? For one well, day and the idea of getting tackled by the security guard doesn't sound very i don't know post covid you're pretty much craving for affection right not you but 
you're a sentient right. AI. People. <laughs> people in general. I, I pay extra so I get tackled on the exit. No, I don't need a receipt. Please tackle me. Um, <laughs> so for one day in September, a Paris running boutique. You know it's expensive when it's a running boutique. Let people try and steal from it. There was a catch, though. You had to outrun one of the fastest sprinters in France. The promotion flipped the script on the problem retailers are grappling with in the U.S. Tell me about it. French running store offered a five-finger discount for one day. It says last month. Hmm. There was a catch, though. Yeah, that's though. right. It was in September. One day. It's already... So we're at the very end. I Okay, anyway. A month have, has gone by already. A month... Within a month. I mean, one day in September... That's been a long time ago in the nowadays, you know, it, it feels like mm -hmm. it's been forever. So do you think that you could outrun somebody? Uh, it was September 13th. So shopper saw shoes and apparel tagged with rob it to get it. Store managers also informed shoppers they could keep whatever they could get away with. But the security guard duly dressed in black pants, black polo shirt, and orange armband, was none other than one of the fastest men in France, Meba Mikhail Zeze, I think is their name, or Zizi. I'm not sure if that how to pronounce that last name. Z-E-Z-E. -Z -E. Zizi, who had notched a sub-10 second 100 me forget it. I don't even need to finish the sentence before I just... <laughs> I touch whatever it is that's going to be stolen and sit down. Okay, I'll put it back on the shelf. <laughs> I can't even get out of my chair in 10 seconds. Just kidding. That's not true. Um, and his training for the 2024 Olympics was hired by Distance's advertising agency to chase down the shoplifters for a video released later. The only problem is if somebody really does try to, you know, like harm this person while they're doing this promo. Yeah, like this person's just getting publicity, except they're not if they end up getting hurt when they tackle somebody or if the person's legitimately trying to steal. Yeah, exactly. Um, they thought it was the, uh, a failed shoplifter, Lori Sicott. Or Sico, I'm not sure how to pronounce that last name either. Told the Washington Post, I guess this is found by way of the Washington Post, um, but it's over at Business Insider. And just to reiterate, Dominic Reuter is the author of this article over at BusinessInsider.com. Won't go through the whole thing, um, but essentially, for one day in September, Distance's Paris boutique allowed people to try and outrun the preeminent. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Olympic uh, 100 meter dash racer. Um, what I'd like to see is like a, a side by side of the um, attempted shoplifter versus the runner. Yeah. Because you can kind of tell, for instance, if the runner's real tall with long legs, they're probably going to be going a little faster than, for instance, an elderly oh, yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. That, you know what I mean? Like, it just would be funny to see. Who Two managed this. to get away with their stolen merchandise. Two. Yeah, but maybe they were going at the same time. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think that's how it worked. 
they had to have set it up. Right? Like, okay, you can take this material and if you can get away, if you can race faster, you know, then go ahead and take it. So Did you had, see the end? ZZ told the post the concept reminded him of playing tag as a child and that he only needed about a third of his top speed to catch most customers. Yikes. <laughs> so there's more to this article, um, but they transitioned into the context of American U.S. retailers and, and the fact that shoplifting and organized retail theft is at an all-time high, mainly because we have this idea that you can't touch somebody who's stealing because they might sue your company into uh, non-existence. Um, but uh, so we won't really get into that aspect of it, but um, here's the takeaway from this. They too managed to get away with the stolen merchandise, but he did 75 or 74 raises. What? That all took place in one day. Yeah, that's a lot of running. Especially I wonder if, since I think sprinting is a little different than distance running. Yeah, I mean, for some period, you get trained into long muscle running, you know, but these high intensity sprints, that's a different type of muscle and that drains you really fast. Um, there's a reason why cheetahs can only go so fast so long because they burn through all of their sugar real fast. I was thinking because they catch their prey and they don't need to run any further. I don't know, man. Gazelles are pretty hippity hoppity. Um, I wonder where the two placed, you know, like were they at the middle? Were they or the at last the end? of the day? Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And ZZ's like, man, take them. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> exactly. I just got back from the last sprint. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, the article actually does change uh, context, but we don't need to get into that. Um, pretty cool. And definitely the, the viral marketing is sort of like, um, um, what is the, the deodorant commercials? Like I'm on a horse and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> Are those Old Spice? I think? Old Spice, yeah. It's not your, not your dad's... Um, advertise or uh, deodorant anymore because old spice basically pivoted has to have been a decade now it's been a long time but even their ads are still viral nowadays um they really they reached back into the fountain of youth and <laughs> saved their business it's pretty pretty amazing anyway let's keep on going the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Astronomers carry out largest ever cosmological computer simulation for our universe, which is a simulation. So all they did was uh, make a copy of the virtual machine and then run that. Just kidding. Uh, I don't really know what they actually did. So the international team of astronomers has carried out what is believed to be the largest ever cosmological computer simulation, tracking not only dark but also ordinary matter. We have never actually, we don't know about dark matter. We really don't. Anyway, ordinary matter, such as planets, stars, galaxies, giving us a glimpse into how our universe may have evolved. I think it's great that we're doing something like this, but you know, string theory, dark, dark matter, all of this is theoretical. The Royal Astronomical Society put the article together it's posted at fizz.org. You can follow the link if I were to, you know, throw it into the chat 
But there you go, folks. You can follow that link. It'll be in the show notes. Again, I'll try and post it tonight um, over on YouTube. Um, so the international team of astronomers carried out what is believed to be the largest cosmological computer simulation. The Flamingo simulations calculate the evolution of all components of the universe, ordinary matter, dark matter, dark energy, according to the laws of physics. Well, our understanding of the laws of physics. As the simulation progresses, virtual galaxies and clusters of galaxies emerge. Three papers have been published in monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, one describing the methods, another presenting the simulations, and a third examining how well the simulations reproduce large-scale structures of the universe. There's actually a video that's over on YouTube, but to get there, go through hometown, click the link, or you can do a search over on YouTube. Astronomers carry out largest ever cosmological uh, simulation and uh, you'll get to it. I'm not going to play it. Normally I, I don't anyway, um, but I might as well just help promote the, the clicks over to YouTube. Um, but according to the theory, the properties of our entire universe are set by a few numbers called cosmological parameters, six of them in the simplest version of the theory. The values of these parameters can be measured very precisely in various ways. <clears throat> so one of these methods relies on the properties of the cosmic microwave background, a faint background glow left over from early universe and its creation. Supposedly we've detected this cosmic microwave background, but uh, my understanding is that the detections are, um, there was a previous detection very hyped up and then um, they backed away from it. So I'm not sure what the current situation is with CMB, but um, it says, however, these values do not match those measured by other techniques that rely on the way which uh, in which the gravitational force of galaxies bends light. It's called lensing. You can actually see behind a galaxy because light bends around the gravitational forces of a galaxy. Um, this is the same. This is the reason why black holes look the way that they do when we're looking at them, um, or looking at what uh, the light is that wraps around them. Um, it's weird. It's like a sphere that has a line through it, and it's because you're actually seeing behind it, in front of it. Yeah, that's strange. Um, and it warps space time. So these uh, tensions could signal the demise of the standard model of cosmology. The cold dark matter model. So far, the computer simulations used to compare uh, to the observations only track cold dark matter, although the dark matter dominates gravity. The contribution of ordinary matter can no longer be neglected, says research leader Jupe Shea from Leiden University, since that contribution could be similar to the deviations between the models and the observations. So you can't discount anything, but again, it's the speculation that this unknown matter, kind of like string theory, is ever present, permeating and deciding the fate of the universe. Um, and right, take... it almost seems like the premise is so speculative that where does this really go? Right, and people that are in the in the field, subject matter experts will be able to argue this way and that way. But 
a lot of it is theory and speculation so but tremendously educated theory and speculation um the hope is that something you throw it against the wall and you hope that it sticks uh, but again the the math and and the the science is beyond my scope um, i know a lot about i know a little about a lot but i've <laughs> I don't know if I should take pride in the fact that I have a little bit of knowledge in a lot of things, or if it's, you know, jack of all trades and you suck because you're not a master of anything. Um, but it's part and parcel to what I do. So astronomers have completed a series of computer simulations tracking structure formation in dark matter, ordinary matter, neutrinos. Uh, PhD student Roy Kugel or Kugel from Leiden University explains the effects of the galactic winds was calibrated using machine learning by comparing the predictions of lots of different simulations of relatively small volumes with the observed masses of galaxies and the distribution of gas in clusters of galaxies. Again, it's a simulation based on theoretical uh, expansion of a small scale sample of moderately known variables we really don't know what the end game of all of this is so flamingo simulations open a new window on the universe that will help make the most cosmological observations we'll see what it, this actually ends up um doing this could be you know somebody's 30 years worth of work only to come out on the other side saying this is not how it is which is tremendously important to removing the doubts and unknowns from our scaffolding of understanding the universe. So I have no problem doing this kind of research um, because... No, I think it's very important, even though it's hard to see the benefit of it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So to make the simulation possible, they develop new code, Swift, which efficiently distributes the computational work over 30,000 CPUs. By the way, Swift may be a problem um, if they market it as Swift because it's a programming language under Apple's. Right. I thought it was, so I wasn't sure if that was related or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this will matter or if Apple will even... If they try and commercialize this, then it might be a problem, but... Um, and that's they I'm like not, their acronyms. Yeah, they have flamingo. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of institutions work really hard to. We've really got to get that acronym in there. Let's keep on going. Sound good? Sounds great. Cool. So the next article is over in Distillerist. American whiskey fears fifty percent EU tariffs from January. So come January. There is going to be a doubling of tariffs of American whiskey into the EU. So they're referring to it as debilitating. So this is going to be a whole lot more expensive. I'm not sure why, but. Yeah, that, is that whiskey only or is this just featuring at it? Like. Um, well, in this context, it is. It's spirits. So any distilled spirits. Uh, in the U.S. EU presidential summit on October 20th in Washington, D.C., an agreement was not reached between uh, Biden and the European Union, sorry, European Commission president. 
Really? Vonderland? That's how you actually would say that? It's all lowercase, even though it's the name that starts with Von? Okay. So Vonderland, to permanently remove or extend the suspension of the EU's retaliatory tariffs on American whiskey. From the 1st of January 2024, the tariffs are due to come back into effect at the higher rate of 50%. A statement by Chris Swanger. President and CEO of the Distilled Spirits Council of the U.S. I, I'm not sure what discus is, but that might be a link to something. Um, oh, so that's its acronym. Oh, it is discus. Yeah, I guess so. They like take a little bit of the. Wow, they worked really hard to make that happen. Anyway, they said uh, American whiskey distillers were holding out hope that this summit would result in an agreement. There's more to this, so let's go over and take a look at Melita Keeley over at thespiritsbusiness.com. Um, that's a cool picture, but uh, just got much more expensive. Um, let's see. I, I won't read the entire thing um, again, but... Uh, yeah, it just says we are, we urge the Biden administration to continue to prioritize the permanent removal of these debilitating tariffs until the threat of tariffs returning is fully removed. The uncertainty will continue to restrict our growth in our most important international market. Uh, yeah, the EU is huge. But what is it that caused it, right? So the tariffs on American whiskey caused a 20% reduction in export to the EU, the largest export market for the category. In value terms, this resulted in a decline from 552 million to 440 million between 2018 and 2021. When the suspension came into place, American whiskey exports in the EU rose by nearly 30%. Um, so hitting... there's gotta be a connection as to whether the tariffs exist as to the sales, et cetera. So apparently it was a response to implementing tariffs on steel and aluminum or aluminium, depending on where you're from. Um, but this is actually a long, <laughs> depending on which channel you go into, um, <laughs> like Dunkstar's channel, um, we have voted in the fact that he has to re respond. He, ha he has to say aluminium as aluminum um i don't know how long that is supposed to be in place but that was the last thing that i heard several months ago so we'll see uh, but i say aluminum uh, although i like the pronunciation of aluminium a lot better so i guess if you're gonna wound one country with steel and aluminum import taxes tariffs it's a different thing then i guess hit Americans where it hurts, which is in the drunkard. So, yeah, <laughs> well, this will be interesting to see what happens. Like, will people shift to a different drink, for example? Although maybe, like you said, the tariffs are going to apply fairly broadly. Um, yeah. And how much, like how much whiskey is exported versus, um, steel to the eu for instance oh so like is the see the, the problem though is the the cost benefit isn't really the underlying factor because 
aluminum and steel may be tariffed, but American whiskey, 30% of the, well, at least, yeah, around nearly 30% was chopped off the bottom line, which means that the entire market has to contract in terms of uh, production. Otherwise it's just stale. Um, it's just sitting in a warehouse, not going anywhere. And all of the Labor. employees. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. And I suspect that whiskey, well, because it was lifted or suspended, I think it probably went up. But then also, I think we've seen stats that drinking went up during the pandemic. So they might be at an elevated level as it is, which may mean a harder hit. Yeah, exactly. So what's going to happen is it's going to come retracting back down January 1st unless everybody in the eu is willing to pay that higher price and i don't know if things over there there's domestic whiskey makers so right i was thinking of something like the tri-channel where they're always comparing different countries um whiskey spirits and i don't know that american is necessarily the favorite but i don't know what is it's all over the place because there's all kinds of different manufacturing processes, techniques, variability. So pretty interesting. I predict a spike in December. Everybody's going to buy all kinds of whiskey. Yeah, There's going to be some really important Christmas presents being purchased for <laughs> EU friends. Well, good luck, everybody. And safe drinking. Let's keep going. This next article is over in the Law Nerd channel. Law partner's bad prank cost him his job, though he avoids jail. So there's that. Um, Okay, so I had to look into this to figure out what was going on. Apparently, the firm didn't think it was funny. That's the deck statement that's over at the Above the Law um, article. Uh, Catherine Rubino is the author of this, again, over at AboveTheLaw.com. So Chris Allen a now former partner at Australian firm Coors, uh, decided to play a prank on a colleague while on a virgin flight from Sydney to Tasmania. And he reportedly wrote a note while in the bathroom and tried to call attention to his colleague. But the note was intercepted by a flight attendant and that turned into a police action on the tarmac where he was removed. Apparently he's a pretty good, uh, litigator because he argued his way out of it whatever was going on i mean just a prank bro really apparently was the solution so they didn't charge him Which with is anything surprising on an airline yep a passenger was taken into custody but had but no idea beyond that was tweeted by somebody but here's where it gets a really interesting apparently because of the attention And I don't know why Um, police have indicated they take the matter very seriously. A 42 year old Sydney man was uh, will be proceeded against for offenses relating to an incident on board a flight last Thursday. A spokesperson for Tasmanian police told ROF police initially responded to a concern for welfare report regarding a person on board a flight in the Sydney to Hobart. Subsequent investigations determined the matter to be a hoax, they said. So here's here's where it gets really interesting. 
Um, Alan was left off by the or let off by the authorities without any fine or charge, just a minor infringement notice. Like, don't be a dumbass. However, it looks like the powers that be at cores were less forgiving. Nothing happened. But apparently he was prominent enough as a partner or they were looking to trim the fat. So Alan tendered his resignation, which the firm promptly accepted. Okay, did they have a code of conduct that said something like no hopes on airplanes? Interesting, right? But we're in a I mean, vacuum. I don't disagree with the firm, but it is interesting with the lack of charges. Yeah, there was nothing that actually took place. And it was taken out of context because the flight attendant may not have been able to read between the lines. So whatever it was. Exactly. Uh, I did you... click through on this one because this hmm. didn't have a lot of detail about what had happened. But, right. Um, I so mean, what I did he say? Just of it from what you described. Something me, like my butt I'm is... being held against my will or something. So to me, that's pretty serious. I mean, it is. So I'm pretty sure that that colleague said something to Coors that whatever was going on was inappropriate on a, on a plane. Cause I was just about, I, I was going to joke, you know, Hey, I've been super glued to the toilet seat. Help me. That kind of a thing. Right. I or, don't remember exactly what it was, but it was basically like a false hostage kind of situation, I guess. Wild. Which well, is pretty serious. I mean, people can't just go, Hmm, is that for real? You yeah. Know? Legal bro. Don't, don't do these things. That that's probably the dumbest thing that you could possibly do. Um, so yeah, I, I understand. Okay. So oh, I'm sorry. Let me, I started something and I shouldn't have started it while I was streaming. Okay. So let's go on to the next article. Yeah. yeah don't go. <laughs> The sentient AI is sending me error messages because I'm not looking at the stream. But that's okay. Okay, so this... Uh, okay, eye contact. I'm sorry. So I just threw this into the chat. Um, but uh, Hometown Daily is where it's housed. The little snippet. There's always more. You have to click on the visit the source link. Uh, runaway tortoise found five miles from home over three years later. This is the uh, slowest runaway pet ever. Now, did it take three years to get that distance? It hailed a cab, an Uber. It was a slow moving Uber. So a truly unbelievable story. It just goes to show you, you never stop. Uh, ne sorry, you never give up hope. Florida's wildest animal rescue said. Apparently it ran away from an animal rescue. So uh, this is a, a... Well, why didn't they catch it? I mean, if it was moving slowly... <laughs> like oh there goes the tortoise <laughs> they don't know where it went though runaway tortoise found five miles from home um pandora dewan who always finds these really interesting articles for newsweek <laughs> um and they're the science reporter so uh sulcata the sulcata i guess tortoise was found wandering around putnam county florida on uh, saturday afternoon and was brought to florida's wildest rescue animal rescue after a 24-hour search on social media, the tortoise's owners were found. It was a runaway tortoise that was reunited with their or with her owners three and a half years after going missing. So, a little more precise with the number. Truly unbelievable. I'm going to ask a dumb question here, but how do you identify that that's your tortoise? I don't know. Their smile. I mean, do they look? 
<laughs> do they look different enough? I don't know. Well, it says it here in the article. Gabby from Florida's Wildest Animal Rescue was able to match the markings on the tortoise to those in the picture shared by her owners in April 2020 when she first went missing. As soon as I saw her photo, I knew I had her tortoise, Gabby told Newsweek. I compared identifiable features like holes in the shell from an old dog bite when she was small and some other marks. Oh, oh my gosh. I would not trust putting my hand that close to a tortoise's mouth. No. I wonder if it purrs. She needs to see a vet, which we suggested to the owner and think that she's bringing on, uh, planning on bringing her in. Uh, she'll be fine with treatment. She was alert and even ate um, when uh, when they had her. So I guess she's uh, in somewhat uh, okay health. But she survived on her own for three and a half years. Let's see. Is there anything else in here? Too bad she didn't have a tortoise cam. Think of all the adventures uh, she had. Yeah, really. What we need is a universal translator from Star Trek. And we could figure out what they... So it says here they burrow under fences. They're also so strong that even the potential to knock them down. So pretty wild. I didn't know that. Yep. Yep. Happily, they are home. A really, really long vacation from wherever they were housed. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over on Gnometown Daily. Air Canada would rather sue a website that helps people book more flights than hire competent web engineers. That's kind of typical for a lot of corporations. Uh, I am so frequently confused by companies that sue their uh, companies, uh, sue other companies for making their own sites and services more useful. It happens quite often, and quite often the lawsuits are questionable. CFF, sorry, CFAA claims against websites that scrape data to provide a better consumer experience, but uh, one that still ultimately benefits the originating site. So over the past few, uh, sorry, the last few years, various airlines have really been leading the way on this, with Southwest being particularly aggressive in suing companies that help people find Southwest flights to purchase. Unfortunately, these lawsuits are succeeding. So this article is over at techdirt.com. Mike Masnick is the author. Essentially, um, Air Canada is suing a company that's actually called localhost, which in conjunction with a developer created seats.arrow and an app called seats.arrow um, that helps people more efficiently and effectively obtain flights. But they're saying- you know what Air Canada should do is buy that website but or then, partner with them. But then they would have to spend money and not give it to the executive suite. You can't do that. You would make no. a poor CEO. Uh, well, wait. You wouldn't want it to run smoothly. Right. Right. Almost nothing in this makes any sense. Having third parties scrape sites for data about prices is how the internet works. Whining about it is stupid beyond belief, according to the author. By the way, really scraping a site is 
it's almost harmless depending on how often it's being done. The problem is what it does with the data and numerical values for flights really shouldn't be protected. It it's nothing more than data that is public information. Um, websites try to hobble this by saying that you can't use any mechanical or bot to scrape. Um, but there's plenty of ways to obtain the information and it's not debilitating to the site that is being pinged periodically unless they're doing a denial of service attack, you know, just constantly flooding them. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> if the way that the service works is it makes it easier for people to remove the friction and get a flight on Air Canada, how asinine is it for somebody to sit there and say, no, 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 no. We don't like you. It's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> like It's helping Air Canada out. Yeah. So why are they mad? Air Canada's lawyers also seem technically incompetent, according to the author. I mean, what the F is this? Through screen scraping, Carol extracts all of the data displayed on the website, including the text and images. Carol also employs more intrusive API scraping to further feed defendant's website. If the API, and then they break that out into their own discussion. If the API scraping is more intrusive than screen scraping, you're doing your API wrong because the API is an application programming interface. You're supposed to create an API to allow other people to tap in to get the data in the most efficient manner. You develop a protocol um, that allows people to get that information. So, so as, that's like on Air Canada. Oh yeah, it's basically Air Canada's attorneys saying that Air Canada has incompetent programmers without saying they're incompetent programmers. It's kind of like how Reddit basically said, we don't want you pinging our API um, while claiming that the other people are abusing it, but not that their API is robust enough to handle it. So instead of making it more robust, they raised the price and ousted anybody who couldn't. It's artificial scarcity, and some people managed to wade through that, I guess, rocky shoals. Um, so it says, and yes, this lawsuit really calls into question Air Canada's tech team and their ability to run a modern website. If your website can't handle having its flights and prices scraped a few times every day, then you shouldn't have a website. Eh. That's not up for other people. I mean, it's up for other people to decide to make that determination, but it's not up to them to dictate the existence of some other business's website. Um, maybe invest a little better in infrastructure like basically every other website that can handle some basic scraping or set up your API so it doesn't fall over when uh, used for normal API things because this is embarrassing. This is what the author of this article is saying. Um, but I, I don't think that it's all that difficult. They, they need better software engineers. It says at times defendants vol voluminous uh, requests have placed such immense burdens uh, on the Air Canada Group's infrastructure that it has caused brownouts. During a brownout, a website is unresponsive. Now, I'm sorry, but unless this thing is sitting there pulling data and locking records as it's doing it, this is asinine. None of this 
the API should be so streamlined that anybody that has an actual account or access to the API um, shouldn't be doing this type of damage. Uh, but this is really, it should be, Air Canada should be embarrassed for the tech team. And the tech team should be sitting there going, Jesus, they're just running over us with an Air Canada plane. Exactly. I, I don't know. This seems like such a simple solution. Yeah, yeah. fix your infrastructure. And if the website is really actually crashing because of this, you should be looking inward, not outward. Yeah, you should be buying seats.aero and integrating, just promoting the app. Don't even use the website anymore. Just promote the app. Say, download the app and, and book a, a flight with us. Because um, this is just asinine. So anyway, enough. Let's move on. Or not. You know, I do the transition, but then um, I stop it. I don't know why. If I, if I initiate it too often, it, it stops before it stops or starts and then stops. I've said I hate that when lot. it stops before it stops. Yeah, it stops before it starts and then stops. So the next article is over in the Mobile channel. Space rocks and asteroid dust are pricey, but these aren't the most expensive materials used in science. Uh, I've actually kind of gone down a, a rabbit hole about certain materials. There are things that are used in uh, medical devices where they are only allowed to use the core of um, synthesized gem-like material um, that is really quite fascinating because all of the extra stuff off the sides of the cylinder and other things, it glows for a tremendous amount of time and with just a little UV, it, it like absorbs all of that UV light and then spits it out. Um, I'll see if I can find something else, um, but this is, this probably won't talk about it, but it's really, really expensive for a small amount because the people that are buying it from the manufacturers, um, the manufacturers sell the qualified parts to the manufacturers of the medical equipment. But all the extras are being bought by these basically rock hounds who are selling them and converting them into jewelry and stuff like that. But because both parties are trying to make a profit, the price just goes from these are worthless, throw them in the, in, in the trash drawer or in the trash can um, to, hey, there's a market for these because these people over here want them and I have sellers over here or buyers over here. So it goes from junk being thrown away to hundreds of dollars for a little crystal. Um, and I'll, I'll see maybe tomorrow I can have these and, and just do a, like a reminder of what this article was about. Um, but let's go over to, oh, I guess I scrolled a little bit. Chris Impey from The Conversation, which is an external website to fizz.org. Um, you can go to theconversation.com, put this article together um, over at fizz.org. And it says here, roughly half a pound of material collected from the 85 million ton asteroid will help scientists learn about the formation of the solar system, including whether asteroids like Bennu include the chemical ingredients for life. So far, yes. <laughs> 
including water. Um, I still don't know how water that's captured inside an asteroid uh, can be turned into oceans on Earth, but I don't know. NASA's mission was budgeted at $800 million and will end up costing around $1.16 billion for just under nine ounces of sample or 255 grams. That is the most expensive material known. Question mark? Not even close. So uh, the person who is uh, writing this article, Chris Impey, might be how they pronounce it. They're a professor of astronomy. They use uh, moon rocks and Mars rocks in their teaching and have a modest collection of meteorites. And they marvel at the fact that they can hold something like that um, in their hands. That's billions of years old from billions of miles away. I agree. It's uh, pretty, pretty fascinating. So a handful of asteroid works out to $132 million per ounce or 4.7 million per gram. That's about 70,000 times the price of gold, which has been in the range of 1800 to $2,000 per ounce for the past few years. The first extraterrestrial material returned to Earth came from the Apollo program. Six Apollo missions brought back 842 pounds of lunar samples. The total price tag, which some apparently they've been, some have been floating around uh, because there were, they weren't tracking it well enough. Anyway, the moon rocks were a relative bargain at 19 million per ounce, 674, uh, sorry, 674,000 per gram. Why do they put it like that? So yeah. how are costs have grown because the mission is complex involving multiple robots and spacecraft, bringing back samples could run $11 billion, putting the cost for Mars samples at $690 million per ounce or 24 million per gram, five times the cost of the venue samples. Now, some of them, they say some of them are free um, and they start talking about various meteorites that plot themselves down here on earth. Um, expensive elements and minerals Seven radioactive elements are extremely rare in nature and so difficult to create in the lab that they eclipse the price of NASA's Mars sample return. Polonium-209, the most expensive of these, costs $1.4 trillion per ounce, $49 billion per gram. But you won't be able to get Polonium-209. I think it has such a short life, um, that a short half-life that it blinks out the, like almost immediately upon its creation. You'll never get to the ounce volume uh, i believe this thing has like a it's a nanosecond type of half-life <laughs> gemstones can be expensive too some diamonds have a boron impurity that give them a vivid blue hue uh, they're found in only a handful of mines worldwide 550 million dollars per ounce or 19 million per gram they rival the cost of the upcoming mars samples an ounce is 142 carat but very few gems are that large yeah. And fullerenes are made of carbon materials that may be used to create extremely accurate atomic clocks, and they can cost $4 billion per ounce. So what is the most expensive of, of all? Antimatter. And that's because it blinks out immediately and can't be contained. The particle accelerator at CERN can produce 10 million antiprotons per minute. That sounds like a lot, but at that rate, it would take billions of years and cost a billion billion dollars to generate an ounce. 
So pretty fascinating. There's more in this article, of course, and a video and some pictures. Um, but you can always go there and check it out. Let me, what do you think of this? These numbers, well, these numbers are astronomical. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard to fathom how Get out. Um, an ounce can be that pricey. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And it, it's really about the availability. So it's a, a, a business mechanic. I've kind of changed the definition of hometown and, and um, what we talk about. It used to, I used to, I had limited it to business technology and society. Um, but I really want to expand this back out to where it was originally when I first started this, which is science, technology, and society. Um, STS is a, is a, a, a better known acronym, by the way. Um, because we're definitely not limited to the science of business. And so uh, business does have scientific or science foundations as well, economics and uh, other aspects that kind of drive everything. And, and my my areas of interest definitely go beyond just business, so science in general. So. Uh, I'll be driving that message um, a little bit more because I want people to realize that we're going beyond just business because we've always had channels about science. So, Right. And That's we tend to have good. at least one science article each episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fizzdog.org, by the way, is um, a very um, busy site and we only get these little snippets, but then we do this deep dive discussion into it sometimes. And uh, I just love everything about this. You know, Osiris Rex is still out there. It's pivoted into a different name and going off to a different location and uh, a solid iron, I think, or a solid metal asteroid as opposed to the rocky fluff one that it crashed into. I think it's amazing that it didn't have to reset. It didn't have to reload. I do too. Like we're in very advanced uh, times. I didn't even know that was possible. Uh, that has to be a first. It actually went out millions of miles, took a sample, flew back into the gravitational field of Earth, dropped a payload and said, see ya, and went off in another direction. I mean, this is yeah. the kind of thing that you see in science fiction movies. You don't see it actually happening. It's going to be amazing if it actually gets there. If it can take a sample, that would be great. But I think it's doing observation only. Um, but either way, I think it's amazing. Okay, let's keep on going. We've got a few more articles. Next article is over in hometown daily. I wanted to talk about this. I don't know really what is all going to be in this, but forget Tesla, this $13,000 tiny car is Japan's best selling EV. The 11 foot long Nissan Sakura is jet is uh, Japan's best selling electric vehicle. It's 11 feet long. Um, why do they say it's tiny? 11 feet seems pretty big. Yeah. I was going to ask how long is a standard car? Um, it's usually somewhere around a hundred inches. This is 120, a hundred and 14.7 at least. Um, well, but a mini Cooper would be say 10 feet long. 
Yeah, the and that's what I'm talking about for tiny. You know, not your standard car, and even current minis are actually much bigger than original minis. But like a, a tiny car is not 11 feet long. Anyway, um, particularly an electric car, it doesn't need all of the bulk of uh, an ICE engine. Anyway, it's a $13,000 Kai car. Um, has left rivals such as Tesla in the dust. Mini Kai trucks are taking off in the US. Oh, are these those? Really? Let's go well, over to the like source. We do like the Kai trucks. Yeah, I do. Um, so Tom Carter is the author over at Business Insider that put this article together and that's what it looks like. Sakura is Japan's best-selling EV. $13,000 Kai car has left rivals such as Tesla in the dust. Mini Kai trucks are taking off in the US with some being sold for as little as $5,000. They're really gutless wonders, by the way. So uh, I wouldn't expect them to be zoomy zoomy all over the place and carrying big payloads. Um, they look like they should be zoomy. <laughs> they look like they would be fun, right? But the, these wheels have to be seven inch wheels for crying out loud. They look so tiny. But let's see, maybe there's some more pictures in here. Um, it's a $13,000 mini car developed jointly by Nissan and Mitsubishi uh, in the best selling electric car in Japan this year, accounting for about half of all EVs sold in the country so far this year. Bloomberg reported that the cost of the vehicle included government subsidies. So it's probably a, a $20,000 car, um, but I don't, don't hold me to that. $35,000, sorry, 35,099 vehicles sold this year. The Sakura has far outperformed its rivals, including Tesla. Um, those are the little trucks that I dig. Um, but if you were to be hit by a modern U.S. vehicle, you might as well not you know, be in a vehicle. You'll probably, yeah, they'll find you in the glove box probably. Um, but they're neat. They look cool. They're kind of, they look like they'd be fun to drive until, you know, you hit a pothole or a puddle. They look like they belong in a cartoon. Although vehicles under 25 years old are subject to tight restrictions in the U.S., I don't believe these, like the Hatsu Hijet and uh, Suzuki Carry, are even around anymore. You have to get the ones that have been in in country. Um, despite this, they have been uh, popular in parts of rural America, with diminutive Japanese vehicles being used on ranches as delivery vehicles and even beekeeper wagons. This is a concept. EV's startup, uh, Tello's first electric truck. This is just a render. That shouldn't even be allowed. That's such a low quality, non-realistic render that that should not be on public display. Anyway, the Sakura's popularity comes as Japan's famed car industry lags behind in the global shift to electric vehicles with battery powered vehicles and plug-in hybrids accounting for just 2% of vehicles sold in 2022. Um, there, this reference to that uh, EV startup called Tello. Uh, they're announcing a $50,000 Mini Cooper sized pickup earlier this year. And that's a US based company. Um, it, it says uh, the craze for Kai trucks has inspired some US manufacturers to begin selling their own tiny vehicles. But I don't know. This this just screams not going to hit market. 
Anyway, let's keep on going. Um, did I throw? I didn't throw this into the chat, so sorry about that. There you go, folks. Let's keep going. Today. Uh, the next article is over in the Hometown Daily channel. The Utah cookie wars are over. Crumble settles trademark suit with dirty dough. Um, I've read a little bit about this because it has to do with intellectual property. I, uh, I find this really fascinating and I wanted to know the context so that I could actually talk about it in a little bit greater detail. Um, but Crumble and Dirty Dough are actually linked together because Dirty Dough was started by a former Crumble employee. And so along with trade secret issues, trademark claims were made. Um, they say here specifically Dirty Dough packages, it's cookies and boxes that uh, perfectly fit cookies lying side by side. And that include whimsical outline shaped drawings including a cookie with a bite taken out of it, has a weekly rotating menu and includes a drawing in the shape of a cookie with a bite taken out of it and its decor and marketing, the suit says. So it's really close <laughs> um, to uh, crumble in the way that it packaged things in its style of marketing and whatnot. But no, Dirty Dough is its own brand. It may even be a knockoff crumble but uh, until you get confusingly similar, trade dress doesn't even matter. There is no trade dress conflict. If you look at Dirty Dough compared to Crumble, um, you cannot patent or uh, infringe on six cookies laying in a box. Don't be daft. Um, but I think if it was like crumble with an E and it had the pink boxes or something, I mean, that would be a different issue. Yeah, I mean, it's so far from confusingly similar. The only reason why anybody even knows that dirty dough is linked to crumble is because of the lawsuit and the publicity about it. So as a result, dirty dough launched a social media and billboard campaign to go along with its defense of itself in court. Much of it was handled quite whimsically with the owner of Dirty Dough creating a bunch of mocked up billboard images that mostly poked fun at Crumble uh, in the eye for being bullies while also taking the time to state how good Crumble's products were, being human, in other words. Sadly, as far as uh, too often happens, what would be an interesting outcome in court has instead turned into confidential settlement. So they basically just said, okay, um, the court document states that both companies are finalizing a written agreement to memorialize the settlement, which is probably going to amount to you go that way. I'll go that way. And never the twain shall meet. Um, but so it says it's over and crumble did get something out of the suit. The trademark claims still seem quite silly. So the author here guesses that they'll have to see how far dirty dough is going to go in its packaging changes. I think it's weird that you can sit there and try and say that laying six things flat like a cookie. I mean, I mean, how else are you going to package a fresh cookie? We, a, a fresh cookie. There's the key ingredient here. You can't stack them. You can't lay them. So, no. um, not when they're warm there right now, uh, in a bag, there is, a a row of 12 cookies individually packaged and it looks like 
um, what do you want to call it? It, it looks like a clip that you would put into a gun to shoot chocolate chip cookies at somebody. Um, <laughs> and when I saw it, I was like, that is awesome because it, it looked like all you had to do would like spring load it a little bit. And so they would always be standing up and you could just reach into this bag and pull one out and it would click down a little bit. It was an awesome type of, you know, kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, but it was cool marketing to see it in this little container. Um, but you can't do that kind of stuff. I mean, how unique can you put six cookies, you know? You'd have to make it like five cookies in like a weird shaped container or something. Oh yeah, that's it. That's what you need to do. I mean, that's not practical. I'm just I'm being yeah. ridiculous. According to Crumble's statement, as part of the case resolution, Dirty Dough returned the Crumble information and has agreed, returned the Crumble information and has agreed to change certain cookie boxes in order to eliminate any potential confusion for customers. Nobody was confused. Um, the remaining terms of the settlement agreement are confidential. Yeah, I, I think it probably reads something similar to cookie dough has agreed to stop making fun of us, mom. And don't get me wrong. I love crumble, crumble cookies. Dirty dough isn't near hometown, um, but crumble definitely is. And I love them and I can speak for the sentient AI in that they've analyzed the crumble cookies and based on that science, they enjoy them as well. Right? That is entirely accurate. <laughs> okay. Last article. Let's get going. So this one will be quick. Um, uh, American is a uh, sorry. America is apparently just starting its foray into spicy foods, even though we have things like Pepper X. But spicy foods and flaming hot magma is not the same. And right. there have been times where I've had some delicious spicy foods. And then I've had flaming hot magma style pepper X kind of concoctions. And I don't like that. I love flavorful, flavorful stuff. I wish that I could talk about the local restaurants outside of hometown. Um, but food is perfect in hometown. Anyway, spicy foods era is just beginning for Americans. The shift to spicier taste profile has various reasons, but a key factor concerns younger generations and their search for more diverse flavors. So this article is over at Newsweek. Suzanne Blake is the author. They have this quote in here. Every type of food business has seen the impact of rising popularity of hot sauce and spicy food. This persistent consumer trend has caused observable changes in the fast food industry and elevated specific flavors like sriracha to global popularity. A spokesperson for Nestle USA's 2024 food trend report told Newsweek. Um, by the way, sriracha has actually changed flavor because they lost access to the original peppers. And so they use a close approximation. And everybody that I have met that talks about sriracha says that it has changed and is no longer what they like. 
So there's another one that is a rooster or something like that. Like Sriracha has the rooster, but there's another one um, that's made by the people who used to grow the peppers for Sriracha. They make their own Sriracha now. Um, and that is the the one to go to. And I, I'll have to get it. And and um, but I've never really been a major fan of Sriracha. Other people will sit there and, you know, crawl across broken glass to get to a bottle of Sriracha. But I don't I I don't know. Um, yeah, anyway, so apparently younger generations are seeking more flavors and that is leading to spicier things. But I think a lot of it is marketing and this confirmation. It's creating I think it's a bias access to more information, right? Like, I mean, in the age of the Internet, you might have access to different foods, etc. Um, it could be that in that the people that are making these spicier foods are realizing that other countries have these spices and they're pulling them domestically. California Pizza Kitchen, Pizza? California Pizza Kitchen unveiled its hot honey croissant crust pizza this year with hot honey becoming a near national flavor on menus across the country. By the way, was it Wendy's that has uh, a spicy honey barbecue? Um, Burger King. Uh, oh, actually, I'm not sure. What was that other? There's a Wendy's um, like a chicken nugget kind of thing that it has a really good it was spice. Wendy's, sorry yeah I think. um so y'all should go and check that out um it was really good and they actually have like the whole it's the right amount of crisp the right amount of spice all in one but get the small order because the big order is just it stacks and then your face is on fire anyway even fruit frozen 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 food companies have gotten behind the trend with stofers launching a spicy nacho mac and hot Pockets, selling a hot ones version of their classic snack by the way hot ones is the youtube um channel where they do the hot ones um uh chicken wings oh thing. like they, the spice competition yeah and, well i mean it's not really a competition they interview somebody as they move down the line they ask a question they eat a chicken wing and by the end, they get to the hot ones, last dab. Um, and that's supposed to be, you know, flaming hot magma. Anyway, the shift towards spicy has been happening over a long stretch of time. Back in 2020, Mintel reported that 75% of consumers enjoyed spicy flavors. But it's so subjective, spicy flavors, right? Like Thai food, they measure, they allow you to scale from like marijuana to you know i keep saying flaming hot magma that's like level four right and then they tack on at the very end thai spicy and you're like you know i'll try thai spicy and your face is already on fire before the plate gets put on your table and you're, <laughs> uh, i have made a huge mistake um and so you order the exact same thing but plain so that you can stir it all together and knock that heat down just me okay well anyway um, no i think uh everybody's <laughs> level of spice tolerance is different oh yeah definitely 
Grocery, sa grocery sales for the hot Cajun sauce category has surged 5.2% to 708, well, let's just say 790 million in 2022, according to market research company IRI's data. Um, so we're basically looking for spicy things to kind of um, pump up the, the humdrum meals that we've been having. Uh, I think people should really look at uh, Thai spicy foods um, because those are immensely um, flavorful. They're not just pure magma hot. Um, and then, honestly, you, <sighs> sriracha is just something that you add to something. But if you want something that is just part and parcel to good spicy flavors, uh, I'm going to reach back into that bag and say Thai. Um, because every bite is absolutely flavorful and spicy and you can scale it back. And of course, like I'll, I just had Salvadoran, um, uh, what, a I would refer, I would say that it's street tacos. Um, but the, the salsa that they, um, added on the side. That is was immensely just fantastically spicy with a whole range of flavors and not just pure heat. So don't just look at spicy as being hot. Look for the flavor um, because all of this where they just say spicy, that really doesn't embody it enough. So in Sriracha just really doesn't do it for me. It just seems like it's hot in this one flavor. It's just a flat flavor. Um, I still like it, but I wouldn't go out of my way for it. I'm sure I'm going to get a whole lot of hate mail for that. Right. You're going to get Sriracha hate. Yep. Uh, the hot sauce market is projected to reach $4.9 billion in 2026, which could reflect a surge of 78% from 2020, according to a 2021 facts and factors report. Um, so we're all uh, hot on the trail for spicier foods but I want flavor and spice. So at any rate, that's it for tonight, folks. I always ask everybody to get back into the party bus and we drive back down Main Street to the welcome sign. We mash that logo and we get a whole bunch of new news. Oil and gas, oil, coal and gas could peak this decade, the IEA says. Uh-oh. You know what that well, means. Well, watch out, Wyoming. Hey, Mark Meadows. Mm, oh no. Um, this person used a $28 mechan mechanical keyboard for a month. Maybe you should too. This is pretty much a jab at anybody that's really into uh, mechanical keyboards because they could be hundreds to thousands of dollars for the right thought. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a thing. All right, folks, that's it. I think we're all done. I am Merwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that is nodding and waving in their <laughs> simulated because they don't have an actual uh, body. It's just a cascade. They have a virtual body that I can see because I make out from the weird spacey squiggles um it's kind of like the matrix cascade anyway i've learned to 
deal with it. But yeah, uh, so so nodding to confirm and saying no and move on by go, going like that, that doesn't work. You have to... I have to speak. Speak. There you go. Thank you. Anyway... That's it for today. I, again, am Marwat. That's hometown.com and the sentient AI that's going to say bye eventually after waving around everything. <laughs> Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. True. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody.